Well, welcome to the Passion Week edition of Rubrics, our podcast where we talk about matters of faith and Holy Scripture and prayer. And it is, uh, we are recording this on Thursday, March 30th. And we're, we, we're a day late than normal. Day late than normal. We are a bit distracted today. Um, and so our apologies. Um, but right now we are checking our phones. There is in Winston-Salem, an active shooter about uh, two miles, a mile and a half from from the parish. And we have uh, two parishioners um, and a good friend and former staff member who are all in class and mm-hmm. on lockdown. Um, we know they are all uh, safe. We've talked to one um, on text and the other two are high school students. And we've been told that all of them are safe. However, we don't know anything else. The people who are responsible are still apparently at mm-hmm. large. And since we're so close and we have no information, we have simply, um, um, well, now we're told there's no active shooter on campus, no other threats to any other schools, but we did have to lock our doors here. We're pretty close. Mm-hmm. We didn't know. So this is, um, I mean, this is on the heels of, the awful shooting at the Covenant School in Nashville. I'm not going to list all the recent yeah. shootings because, frankly, we'll I, I'll miss them. Yeah. I don't. I don't know which which ones right. are there, um, which ones have happened. We're tired of it. We don't have an awful lot of solutions. Although I think we should try to find them. I am reminded. I've been thinking this week about, and I'm sure you'll pray it in a moment. The colic for Passion yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Um, where it says, Almighty God, I think, I think I can quote it, who alone canst order the unruly wills and affections of sinful men. Mm-hmm. And so while we absolutely, I think every reasonable person would like some sort of efforts to be done to promote mental health, mm-hmm. to, to remove access to firearms to those who have wished to harm mm-hmm. others or themselves, um, Yet we also recognize this is a product of of human brokenness, mm-hmm. of sin, and that um, there comes a point that we can do so much, it is only God who can order, order. those mm-hmm. unruly wills and affections. Um, that being said, you know, the sort of the pall that's sort of over us right now, and we don't have anyone in our family right. that's directly <clears throat> affected, although we care very much and love our parishioners who were there and our friends who were there, it's um, it, it's sort of, I mean, the one, I think the one at Covenant School maybe hit, uh, certainly hit me a bit differently yeah. than normal. And, and, and people who've been around St. Timothy's know that I have a long history with school shootings. There's right. a school in South Carolina named after my mother for her heroism in one of the first school shootings. Um, and um, hang on, there's a text from someone who's there now. Um, um, she's fine, but, um, or was I going with this, but, but all the, oh, the school, the one in Nashville, because it was a church school it was, yeah, yeah. and the, one of the victims of the three children was the daughter of the pastor. Mm-hmm. So our, our prayers and, and, um, <coughs> certainly our, our sympathies are, are with all of them, but this emotional weight, um, finds resonance and healing in the drama of Holy Week. That's right. 
as we watch the news and read things on the on the internet or the paper or wherever we get our news, and we see human brokenness and sin on full display, we see it um, completely open and raw mm-hmm. in the final days of of our Lord, who didn't who didn't move away from it, but walk toward it. Yeah, um, and is found even in it, and found in it. Um, and that's 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 the power of the cross. Mm-hmm. Of the power of the cross is vi- I mean the cross is violent. The cross is is I mean it's unjust. It is it is gratuitous. It's everything that's wrong and broken. Just symbolized in that yeah. in that horrific act, and we we ourselves face it and we acknowledge the horrors and evil of the world. Yet we find our hope in a God who went to that place and gave his life on that place so that its ultimate power and ultimate sting will be taken away. Mm-hmm. And that whereas now we, we navigate these, these tragedies and with their increasing frequency, yeah. we do it with pain and lament and sorrow, but not without hope. Mm-hmm. And that's the primary difference. I can't fathom having to navigate these things as a parent, as a friend, um, without hope. And, and and I don't for a minute think that is manufactured hope to make ourselves feel better yeah. in, a, in a hopeless situation. It's, it's, a, it's a hope that brings a peace that is beyond comprehension. So um, that's on our minds, but it... You know, it does it does relate to what we're about to enter into because we're we're entering into the depths and reality of sin and suffering and pain. That's why we that's why this week is Passion Week. Yeah. Passion Week does not simply mean something that we are excited about. No, no. It the Passion is, of Christ. Yeah. The the Latin passio suffer mm-hmm. to suffering. So we we are we are thinking about suffering this mm-hmm. week, and we are certainly. Um, you know, in our hearts and prayers with those who currently suffer now. Why don't you open us up with uh, with the collect, and we'll, we'll begin. Let us pray. O Almighty God, who alone canst order the unruly wills and affections of sinful men, grant unto thy people that they may love the thing which thou commandest, and desire that which thou dost promise, that so among the sundry and manifold changes of the world our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about um, a couple different things today. First, you know, we'll we'll talk about the passion of Christ, um, Palm Sunday coming up in just a few days, and kind of the role of the crucifixion there. Um, I know it sounds silly to say we can't ignore the cross during Easter, but the church is actually tweak some of our liturgies to make sure that doesn't happen, even if we miss some of the um, liturgies coming up next week. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the Apocrypha, um, mostly because, you know, once every year, you'll occasionally get some of these readings, um, and that happened this past week at our daily Mass, you know, using an older lectionary. Um, We had a story from Bell and the Dragon, and the Song of the Three Jews, or the Three Children. 
depending on how it's translated. And, you know, I think a lot of people have questions about those, especially those less read apocryphal texts. Mm -hmm. um, Ecclesiasticus, you know, that gets read some. Sirach, you know, we, we kind of know those, or at least know of them. But some of these lesser stories, we're going to talk a little bit about those and how, how we should kind of approach the apocrypha, and that'll kind of close our time. But um, last night at Formation, actually, here, here at the church, you made a, a good point about... Um, kind of the dual nature of Palm Sunday. Um, and we're asked to make this change quickly. We read accounts from Algeria, a pilgrim in the 3rd century, 4th century? 4th um, uh, century. 4th century, kind of explaining the, the unfolding of the drama that the people would go through. And it was you know, taking place over hours and hours and hours and days. And, and our you know, Palm Sunday procession is 50 feet from our chapel door to our, to our nave. Um, but we still kind of maintain that um, two different emotions, one that begins with Hosanna and rejoicing, and then the Passion Gospel is read during the um, Eucharistic service, and we will be reading that, and it's, it's a long, lengthy account of, of yep. the Passion, um, of the crucifixion and the betrayal and the arrest and the beating, and that um, those kind of happen simultaneously and are brought together, and, and it, it is a little weird, but... Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the stuff you said last night about why does the church include the Passion Gospel on Palm Sunday? Well, I'm lo- yes, I'm looking now at the old prayer books throughout the years to see when these mm. changes really took place. And so um, we Palm Sunday, which up until 1979 in the, in the prayer book tradition was the Sunday before Easter, and not technically called Palm Sunday, uh, but commonly mm, called okay. Palm Sunday. And the um, actually, the gospel for 1928 was the crucifixion. Um, okay. it, it was not, it was not um, Palm Sunday. And that goes along with, really, um, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday being... Um, sort of repeats of the Passion yeah, narrative. We get Matthew's account, Luke's account, Correct. Mark's account. Correct. Um, and, you know, in the 1549 um, book, of, the first one, it is from the Gospel for Palm Sunday, is from Matthew 26. So um, it is, um, it is uh, also uh, after, after, um, after Palm Sunday. So, yeah, and I just quickly looked at 1662, and that is, you know, Matthew's... Yep. So, I mean, there are two things that we're dealing with here. One is that the prayer book tradition, up until recently, has now recovered the fullness of Holy Week as we know it. Mm-hmm. We will likely get into this in greater detail next next week, right. but the old prayer books do not have separate rites for Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, mm-hmm. or the Great, Vig- Great Vigil. Those were recovered appropriately yeah. so. Not that we brought in something new, rather we, we recovered something that, um, that, was, um, that was much older. But So the reality is, is that our prayer book tradition sort of begins with, with uh, the crucifixion accounts on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, which is fine, but it, exclu- it excludes the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, right. which has its rightful place. The tension that the current prayer book is trying to hold is how do you include that triumphant entry, which is important, mm-hmm. but not miss the, the, the turn toward the crucifixion, because not everyone, in, in, in our American Episcopal Church tradition, if you look at 
just prayer book revision, the prayer book is as old as I am, which is, I like to think, terribly young and youthful and vibrant. <laughs> but, but in reality, we don't have generations and generations and generations of, of behavior that it becomes expected. It's so, starting to get some aches and pains. So even though, even though the, the prayer book is 44 years old, introducing the fullness of Holy Week is still new and a novelty in an awful lot of places. Mm-hmm. And so it's taken, it's taken a while. So what we try to accomplish on Palm Sunday is we, we, we have the triumphant entry with, with the procession of palms, waving the palm branches so that we, so that we actually enter into this Holy Week. Mm-hmm. And we are not um, observers or bystanders, but we are, we are participants yeah. in this. You too take a you palm too branch. You take, too taking a palm branch. And that's why, as I mentioned last night, palm crosses and mementos like that are, are, have nothing against them. I have something against them when they take the place of holding an actual palm mm-hmm. branch and participating. Mm-hmm. We, 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 don't, we don't have a souvenir. You're not asked to be a bystander. Correct. You're it, not witnessing a play. You're supposed to participate in participate it. Participate into it. And then once we come in, there was a dramatic emotional shift. Mm-hmm. It's whiplash to, to, the, um, to the passion. And I think the reason why that is necessary, in my perfect world, I would have Palm Sunday be just like what Egeria likely mm-hmm. witnessed, who is the, the woman who has given us a written account of the liturgies around the year 380 in Jerusalem, which shows us that what we do today is in the complete um, the spirit and, and right. often word for word. What, just a little shorter. Just a, Well, hours <laughs> today are shorter. Yeah. But Palm Sunday appeared for Egeria to focus only on Palm Sunday mm-hmm. because they would do all the days separately and yeah. with, with for its hours own, and hours and hours. And hours and hours. We, that's not going to happen. It's just, it's not going to no. happen. So we have to have both in case people do not come back for Good Friday. You yes. cannot, you cannot appropriately understand the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ if the words on our mouths are Hosanna in the highest and Alleluia, he is risen. There has to be, um, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Mm -hmm. There has to be, I thirst. There has to be, it is is finished. finished. That has to be there. If it's not there, Hosanna in the highest and Alleluia, he is risen, do not make sense. Mm -hmm. And so I know we worship a risen Lord. I know the tomb is empty, and that is the cause of our hope. It is, but it is the cause of our hope because he first died. And we have to remember the words of St. Paul, that I have desired to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, because that death is the victory over death, and the resurrection is the way to everlasting life, Mm -hmm. to join him to a new way of living. Um, but we cannot skip over uh, um, Good Friday, and so on Palm Sunday, we and 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 because the reality of of the rhythm of life, oftentimes for young families, the school spring break yeah. is Holy Week. <laughs> Unfortunately, and as much as I would like everyone to come back on Wednesday and then do the the triduum, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. Um, so that's why we have we have both there. It's a very emotional service, and and sometimes for me personally, it's not satisfying because we're trying to do both um, um, Palm Sunday triumph, but also the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. But it is it is how we begin, how we enter into this week. Yeah, I, I think you make an excellent point that it 
It is a concession of of sorts, but it's also it's a pastoral concession. It is. It is, and it's a rightful concession, um, because honestly, one of the worst things that could happen is you have someone show up on Palm Sunday and Easter, and never hear any reference to the crucifixion. Um, and and Paul is such, I think, a good example of this because he sees the risen Lord in front of him, and that that is, you know, his transformation, that becomes his hope. And then he spends the rest of his life talking about Jesus Christ crucified. Um, he, Those are not two opposing views. Um, those are seen one in the same. I mean, his hope is in Christ on the cross because he also knows how it ends. But you don't just skip over the crucifixion because you know how the story ends. But it's not simply or not only the passion of Jesus. Holy Week rightfully observed and and entered into reveals the the full gamut of the human condition mm-hmm. where now you get into uh, conspiracy, you get into betrayal, mm-hmm. you get into denial. And for me, among fear, fear among the more moving elements, and also fidelity, yeah. the mother of our Lord and, um, and the beloved disciple, I am moved tremendously at, during um, Holy Week it's pausing and thinking about Judas, yeah. his conflict, his remorse, mm-hmm. what it what it took for him to to betray. Yeah. I'm wounded when I sit with Peter, and the denial not once, not yeah. twice, and but three times, and how he becomes animated and emphatic. I do not know him, yeah. and to get think away from me. He yeah. knew what he was doing. And, and, I mean, so, again, to bring it back to the topic at the beginning I mean, he of this. Is, he's the one. You are Peter and he's the I one. mean, highest highs and lowest lows. So as we, as we wonder what's wrong with people, yeah. that we have so much awful things happening in the world, Holy Week demands we come face to face with what's wrong with us yeah. and all of us to bring us to that place of healing and hope mm-hmm. at the cross, at the foot of the cross, Jesus looking to John and saying, Behold your mother, looking at his mother and saying, Behold your son, speaking to to um, to John the Evangelist, giving us that community, giving us that way forward from the cross. From the cross is is the community of the church gathered around yeah. that. Behold one another. Um, and um, it, I mean, it's so vital, so very, very important. And the, the music, the liturgy, is is um, I mean it, I weep during the reproaches mm-hmm. every year as you're kneeling and you venerate the cross and I hear the choir you know singing in the words of lamentations what have I done to thee yeah what have I done to to deserve all this and um, it's powerful it's moving and it's in a in a real way you know kind of uh, de- depressing of sorts yeah. But again, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, next week more. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and the Great Vigil are sort of one big liturgy, so it doesn't end there. We come back for the for the words of hope. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a wild it's a wild ride, mm-hmm. and it, it should be done from beginning to end if possible. Yes, the pastoral concession on Palm Sunday um, always teaches me something, and I think it always helps me understand. Um, I mean, a, a summary of the gospel that I've heard time and time again, but really hits home when within 45 minutes 
I am saying Hosanna in the highest and crucify him. And, and the point is, is that the story of the gospel, the story of sin and suffering is um, we sit here, you know, and, and rightfully say, you know, when will God act? When mm-hmm. will God remove the sin, the evil from the world? And it takes sometimes Palm Sunday to remind me that the same sin and evil I see with my eyes, I also see inside my own life, too. Yep. And if I want God to destroy that sin, he would, he would have to destroy me, too. And, and to say Hosanna and crucify him is kind of that reminder that as quickly as I am you know, praising God, I am quick to turn on him. Um, if not quicker, and so that that you know vision of Jesus on the cross and having to sit with you know me being the one who says crucify him, I I would have been there probably shouting the same thing. I think we all are encouraged to put ourselves in the crowd because we w- we would also be you know s- shouting crucify him. We have to sit with that. You can't um, pass over that. So. You're right. It, it, it's it's always a wild ride. It's always dramatic. It's always emotional, um, and that's what makes Easter worth doing. That's what makes this whole drama week worth worth participating in. Okay. Well, to switch topics a, a bit, um, I'm trying to remember what day it was. Today we had uh, this morning Tuesday, we had a reading. We had, we had no mass yesterday. That's right. So so Tuesday we had a reading from the apocryphal text Bell and the Dragon. Mm-hmm. This morning we had one um, from the the three songs um, of in the in the Bible you're all familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm-hmm. Um, their Hebrew names um, I am blanking on now, but we had one of their prayers while they were in the fiery furnace, and that is what's called the addition. Azarias is Azarias, Abednego, because yeah. that's what I read this morning. Yeah, so the, the prayer of Azarias, um, or Azariah. And, and so we have scattered stories here and there, but I want to talk for a second just about the Apocrypha in general. Um, and maybe, you know, there are people listening who... Um, the, the one that always cracks me up is when people see Ecclesiasticus, and they think, oh, it means Ecclesiastes. Um, and I think there are people who have probably read portions of Ecclesiasticus and just thought, oh, it was Ecclesiastes. Um, yep. I've never read the Apocrypha. But um, we read it, you know, especially Ecclesiasticus and Sirach, um, frequently in our lectionary. The other stories, very, very, very infrequently. I think in the 1979, we will never read anything from Susanna or Bell and the Dragon or anything like that, um, as far as I can remember. But the Apocrypha in general... Um, why does it have its own name? Where does it come from? It, well, it literally means hidden things. And if you grew up in a church like mine, um, the joke was always, and it should stay hidden, because um, there is suspicion of that in, in some of the more you know, Baptist-style um, churches. But it literally means hidden things. It is writings um, of, about, or by um, Jewish people living kind of in the Second Temple period. Um, I think more specifically 3rd century B.C. to 1st century, you know, C.E. or A.D. Um, but right off the bat, we should perk up at that because that is the time that, that Jesus lived. Um, he is kind of engaged in, in that time period, which is kind of the first point I want to make that these stories are circulating um, among the rabbis and the Jewish leaders at this time when Jesus is living. So, immediately it should clue us in that if we want to understand Jesus in his own context, um, these are worth reading. 
even if it's just for context, much less for um, inspiration and for and for divine wisdom. But it, it, the the stories that they tell are um, kind of what it means to be a faithful Israelite in spite of political upheaval, in spite of being a minority. Um, remember that you know, the Jews return from exile, and there is the Persian Empire, the Babylonians. Um, I guess at this point it's, it's the Persians, the Hellenists, the Greeks, um, and the Romans. And so now they're having to navigate, you know, we're not the political leaders anymore. What does it mean to be a faithful Jew when we're getting pushed to adopt Hellenistic practices? What does it mean to be a faithful Jew when we're a minority? And that's kind of what you see with with many, many of these stories. How does it look to live out the Torah? But then you also get uh, military stories, the, the Maccabees, the Maccabean revolts. Um, that is actually, and this, you know, I think helps us understand the New Testament a little better. That's where you get this idea of the Messiah or the, you know, Jewish leader as a military leader. And so when Jesus shows up and declares himself the Messiah, you see a lot of people confused because they're expecting a, mil- a military leader. I think the Maccabees stories are kind of the background for that. Um, but a lot of the stories are simply about what does it mean to be Jewish as a minority? Why is it worth reading? Like I said, I th- it helps us understand Jesus's context a lot, but the New Testament writers um, reference and clearly are aware of many of these stories. Um, we get actually a couple direct quotes, um, not even from the Apocrypha, but from other, you know, other books like the Book of Enoch. Um, we, we get quotes from that. But even when we don't get verbatim quotes, we will get references to similar themes. And, and I wrote down some of these. So you have the wisdom of Ben Sirah, Sirach. Um, Matthew and James both kind of are clearly referencing this. So Jesus' Lord's Prayer, you know, everyone knows, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us or or our debts or our sins. Um, In Sirach, in chapter 28, you actually get the line, forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done, and then your sins will be pardoned when you pray. So is that Jesus directly quoting Sirach? Maybe, but clearly it is in continuity with it. And that's kind of the... You know, the main point I think you should take away from the Apocrypha, that they are not in discontinuity with what we see in the New Testament. And in fact, they're in shocking continuity in in many instances. Um, Ben Sirah, you know, this book, the namesake of it, was a a Jewish sage in Jerusalem. So, of course, the rabbis in Jerusalem, you know, around Jesus' time, know, know him well, know his writings, are probably discussing it. Um, we have, you know, a story in Tobit about um, laying up good treasure for yourself in heaven for the day of necessity by giving away your possessions today. I mean, that's clearly in continuity with Jesus saying, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven to the, to the rich man. Um, but, you know, there's, there's all sorts of books. Um, I, oh, I guess another point that I meant to make earlier is... You know, people will say, "Well, that's that's Roman, or that's that's Orthodox, um, you know, Eastern Orthodox. That's not really in our English tradition." Um, and people forget that the 1611 King James Bible had the Apocrypha in it. It's in our lectionary today, yeah. so it is it is um, inauthentic or disingenuous to say that that you know does not have a rightful place um, together with the other books of the Bible. Let's just give a 45 second explanation as to 
What books? Well, what what these are? I mean, and so it just it's a great it's a great story to to look up mm-hmm. of the um, translation of the Hebrew scriptures yeah. into Greek by the seventy two scholars. Um, scholars from right from, from each of the from each of the tribes. And it's called the Septuagint, yes. which means seventy. And basically, in a nutshell, the the legend goes this way. This was for um, for the for the Alexandrian, who who was the monarch? It was um, who was the the Egyptian that wanted this in the library? Which 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 oh. um, one of them? Wasn't prepared you know, for that. You know, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so they had this. They wanted all of the all of the. Um, um, the books in Greek to be studied, to mm-hmm. know. And the miracle was all of these translators were in um, different spaces doing different things. And, and when they came back, all of their translations agreed. Yeah. Well, if you can have anyone agree on anything, that is a minor miracle. Yeah. But when you have the perfection of, of a translation to come down, that was viewed to be God's divine stamp. This mm-hmm. was a, an, accurate, um, an accurate translation. So now fast forward... What language was the was the New Testament written in? It was written in Greek. That was the way in which that was yeah, that the was the, Greek. that was it was that was the language of of commerce and education at that time before Latin um, took it over. So there's a very good chance that oftentimes that people who were reading the Hebrew scriptures were reading them in Hebrew, but also uh, in Greek. And we, you know, just to interject, we know that as a fact because of certain manuscripts that we found using the Greek references or the Septuagint writings when Jesus, you know, quotes from various scriptures. Um, it looks a little different, so they know they're clearly copying from an older translation, yeah. but he's, he's reading Greek. So Jesus is reading the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation. And so these apocryphal stories, many of which are written in Greek, um, some, you know, they think might have had Hebrew origins, but most of them are written in Greek. Um, same language, same topics, you know, Jesus and his followers are well aware of these stories. So they're, even they're very common. And even if they're reading the scrolls in Hebrew, the, the point is these stories were in Hebrew that were then translated into yeah. Greek, and that became the 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 texts that it, were spread around. And it became the Bible for the early church, especially um, Ptolemy the Second. I had to look it go. up. I knew it. Ptolemy the Second. Um, in Greek. So the point is, is that um, all the stories that we have as Apocrypha were a part of the Old Testament canon mm-hmm. at the time of Jesus. Some of the books, um, you know, quote them indirectly or directly in the New Testament. It wasn't until, and we don't know exactly when, but whenever the Hebrew canon was closed, mm-hmm. what we mean by that is there was an agreement upon the scholars, the rabbis, whomever, to say, we are now defining what books are in mm-hmm. at the exclusion of other books. The um, the ones that we now call Apocrypha were excluded from the Correct. Hebrew canon. And that's from, the Masoretic text, right? Um, Is that? Uh, don't get me into textual criticism. Don't quote um, us on this. Don't, no, don't do that, and especially not, not, not today. Yeah. But, th- but there was this sort of council of Yamnia or Jamnia, yeah. I've heard it pronounced in two different ways, around the year 90 AD, a lot of scholars really wonder if it ever existed. Right. The, the, the point is, there, there, there clearly was some sort of gathering that, that excluded these books. Likely, 
because um, part of the reasons might be is that they really were used by Christians to show that the Old Testament, the, the fulfillment of the Old Testament Correct. is in Jesus Christ. And that, that really is the, the background of the Apocrypha, is kind of the early church struggles with, with the Jews who reject Jesus and those who embrace him. So in terms of whether or not these books are edifying, mm-hmm. of course they're edifying, and, and the Book of Common Prayer says these are, these are yes. um, edifying for us. Is there really anything in these books that, that contain any new or different doctrine? Not necessarily. No. A couple. A couple. I, and if I were to look at the ones, you know, the I mean, some of the things that we have in the Apocrypha, we already, we already um, ascribe to culturally, whether yeah. we believe it or not. Here's an example. Let me give you um, one of my favorite books in the Apocrypha is The Wisdom of Solomon, yeah. or Wisdom. And um, chapter 18, verse 14. This is all beautiful poetry. For while gentle silence enveloped all things, and night in its swift course was now half gone, thy all-powerful word leaped from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of the land that was doomed. Now, the the line is, the night in its swift course was half gone, the all-powerful word leaped from heaven, from the royal throne into the midst of the Lamb that was doomed, is the scriptural um, um, foundation for believing that Jesus Christ was born at midnight mm-hmm. in Bethlehem because the all-powerful word leapt from heaven yeah. when the night was half gone. So every tradition would probably, if you were to ask them, when was Jesus born? Mm-hmm. At midnight. That's why we have midnight mass. Yeah. Um, you know, it comes, it comes from this story. Um, the other, um, the other place um, is um, I'm, not, I'm not sure I can pull it up. It may also be from Wisdom. Was um, no, it was in Maccabees. Sorry, yeah. it was in Maccabees. I is about bring that is about the pr- prayers um, prayers for the dead, where the the statement was, if if there is if if prayer for the dead is not um, efficacious. Then then the whole the whole act would be would be pointless. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it's not. Um, so yeah, Second Maccabees twelve. It is therefore a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead, that there may be loosed they may be loosed from sins. Right. You know. So that's that's Second Maccabees. The other thing, you know, other great things that we get from yeah. the Apocrypha are, um, um, yeah. What, what's, what's the line it says for, if verse forty four in chapter twelve. For if he had not hoped that they were slain, that they that were slain should rise again, it would have seemed superfluous and vain to pray for the dead. Mm-hmm. So because we have a belief in resurrection um, of the body, mm-hmm. then praying for the dead is makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense theologically, not, not it makes sense pastorally. Um, I love also in, in, the, in the Book of Wisdom, the um, which we often read at funerals, that God does not willingly inflict harm yeah. upon anybody. Yeah. I mean, so that's a very important element of our understanding of theodicy. Right. Or why is there a suffering in the world, or why do bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. These are all addressed. And so um, there are lots of good things in here. A lot of it is um, history. Hanukkah would come from mm-hmm. um, the book of Maccabees, right. even though it's not in the Jewish canon. It, yeah. 
Um, that's where Hanukkah comes from. And it from. is culturally an important holiday. Culturally, Religiously, for not them, so it's, much. it's really not that, not that big not of a deal. Not that big of a deal. Yeah. They'll, they'll tell you that. And um, But also some really, really great stories like Bell and the Dragon, which mm-hmm. is just a really um, sweet um, Yeah, I'm going to reference that here in a second. But you brought up a good point that a lot of the doctrines we hold to are, are clearly articulated here. Um, David De Silva uh you know, your background, I think he's Methodist. He's a, he's a scholar of the Apocrypha and, and a lot of this. He makes a good point that um, he kind of lists some of the doctrines that we just take as, you know, fact. And he says they really find their grounding in the Apocrypha, and then the New Testament writers simply are building on them. And he says substitutionary atonement, the idea that Jesus or the Messiah will take our place um, in the forgiveness of sins, our assurances about the afterlife. That's part of what we just read. Um, the immortality of the soul, speculations about angels and demons, the personification of wisdom. And he says the early church really obviously picks that up in a, in a very big way, that the personification of wisdom to talk about, you know, the Trinity, um, they're really refined and defined in this literature. Um, and I, I think that, you know, we've, we've said this time and time again, but if you want to understand the New Testament, you owe it to yourself to go read the Apocrypha because... This is what Jesus is reading. If it was good enough for him to read, then it's good enough yes. for me to read. So uh, one of my favorite stories, and we've been talking about, you know, serious doctrines, um, there's also just fun stories in the Apocrypha. And, uh, you know, there's some that don't necessarily give any new doctrine, but but uh, they're quite entertaining. And, and one of them is Bell and the Dragon. And, you know, there actually is a, a reason why this is important, but... Um, Quickly, I want to just kind of walk people through this, because we, we had this reading uh, on Tuesday, and I'm sure some people thought, who in the what? I yeah. mean, this is not a story I've ever heard in church before, but Bell and the Dragon is in addition to Daniel. So it tells kind of two different stories, one about Bell um, and one about a dragon. And, and it's very short. You could probably read it in one sitting very easily. But the first story is about Daniel, um, while he is, you know, in exile in Babylon, um, there was an idol, Bel, and there's all these priests, and, and the king of Babylon basically says, um, you know, how can you say our idol's worthless? Look at all this food it consumes at night. And, and what he's saying is they leave food at the altar, they, all, they lock the doors, they all go to sleep, and at night, and then in the morning, all the food's gone. And, and Daniel, you know, kind of says, all right, fine, um, you, you want to play this game? So he says, all right, let's do a test. Let's, let's leave the food there, and uh, I'm going to prove to you that the idol's not actually eating this food. And it seems kind of silly, but, but Daniel scatters sand or dirt um, around the altar by the idol and uh, leaves the food and scatters it so you can see footprints. And he locks the door, and they come in the morning, and the food's gone, and the king says, See, I told you. And Daniel actually bets his life on this. And um, Daniel, you know, asked the king, whose footprints are around the altar? Um, kind of pointing them out. And he says, oh, that's, that's men, women, and children. And, you know, Daniel kind of proves that the priests have this back door and they would sneak in and, and take the food away. And so the king is, you know, very distraught. Um, the second story is even more fun. So the king takes Daniel to this, this dragon that they worship. So you have idolatry in the first, and then you have, I think they call it um, something with, you know, animal idolatry or zoo idolatry, um, worship of animals. So the king points to this dragon and says, well, you can't say that this is nothing. This is has flesh and, and breathes and um, breathes fire. And so Daniel, I mean, it's very quick, but it says Daniel uh, bets that he can kill it without laying a hand on it. And it says he takes a pinch and fat and hair, 
boils them together to make cakes, gave them into the mouth of the dragon, and after eating the dragon, it burst open, and he said, see your objects of reverence. So it's a funny story about Daniel kind of poking the idolatry of the Babylonians. Um, the dragon is, is actually worth, you know, reading. It's a funny story, but it uh, helps us kind of understand some of those weird references to the Leviathan and the sea, the the you know, in Revelation, we get a dragon associated with Babylon, and this kind of is a similar literary theme that um, somehow dragons and Babylon kind of go together as like idolatry, false worship, whatever. And you might see it in Revelation, um, you actually see it in Jonah a little bit with, with that sea creature, and you might be super confused about that. Um, but clearly, you know, Babylon and, and dragons went hand in hand. So there's funny stories like Bell and the Dragon um, that still have a point. There's very serious doctrines kind of defined in the Apocrypha. Um, and there's, there's several, you know, poetry, um, you know, military history with the... Mac- it, it's like the Bible. You, you have all sorts of types of writings, and it's not um, easy to just simply read through. It's not, it's not a simple collection no. of books, but it is worth studying because it will help you read the rest of the Bible better. Yeah. Well, any last thoughts about the Apocrypha or any um, insights about you know, this upcoming Palm Sunday and Holy Week? Um, if you're in town, come to church. Yeah. Come to church as often as you can. If you're not in town, find ways to to seriously join yourself with celebrations mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. are happening, either by visiting another church that's doing them or by um, reading through the liturgy yourself. Yeah. Reading reading the Gospels, reading the lessons um, is better than nothing. In fact, it it's not nothing at all. Yeah. So I would encourage everyone to do that. And then the other thing is invite someone to come and join you. Mm-hmm. Um, don't keep this good news that the evil of the world has been defeated by an offering of uh, the self-offering mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. Uh, don't don't keep that to yourself and invite someone to come and experience it with you. And that's why I think festivals can be so impactful for so many people, and they're also just a very easy chance to invite someone. Um, you know, you invite someone on a, on a Sunday in June, they kind of know what they're getting into. You invite them to Good Friday or Monday, Thursday, and it's going to look different. It's going to be something that they may have never experienced yeah. before. Um, invite someone, you know, participate in it. Uh, the easiest way to read the Gospels is during Holy Week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, just pick Matthew, Mark, and Luke okay. and read their passion accounts because um, that is what we will be doing in, in church. So, yeah, you owe it to yourself to try to step um, head first or to dive head first into this week because you will emerge in two weeks on Easter Sunday um, all the more filled and, and you know emotionally connected to what Christ did. Well, let's close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen.